All right, welcome to Vaginance, y'all. So this is our part two of our real estate discussion. And today we're going to get more into the nitty gritty of buying a house for the first time. And I mean, we're talking tax advantages. We're talking various terminologies. (laughs) uh, And we're talking like the actual checklist of what you need to do from start to finish. Like start like six to 12 months before you buy a house to what happens when you close and what the hell you do with a house after you close on one. So tune in and see if we address any of those questions that claw in the back of your brain as you maybe consider buying a home, even though it seems crazy. (laughs) Here's some really cool questions from our favoritest guest ever and some explaining of some acronyms that none of us actually knew what they were until today (laughs) after we had already bought a house. (laughs) And and here Becca have a meltdown while she literally submits an offer on a house mid-podcast. It's very exciting and emotional, and I documented it with video and photo evidence. (laughs) And this was in no way planned. The deadline was 30 minutes ago, and... The deadline to submit was 30 minutes ago, and the papers got to me 30 minutes after we started. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. It Becca was... just started, like, eyeing me across the room, like, free- and looking at all of us, like, <laughs> like, freaking out, like a little, like, rabbit backed up in a corner, like, and there's, like, foxes coming, and she was like, oh, God. <laughs> I also, like, couldn't speak for the first hour. Yeah, it was beautiful. I loved it. I loved every moment of it. So tune in. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a heavy hitter. I'm Becca. I'm Maggie. I'm Taylor. I'm Jules. And we have a very special guest with us today. Lauren, who's back. <laughs> Lauren's back. Lauren's back. She's we back. actually never yeah. let her leave. Yeah. <laughs> She's been chained to the couch for a week now. Only vaginance matters. <laughs> that's that's what you have auditioned in me. The new t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I want the Only vaginance. Only vaginance matters. <laughs> Um, thank you for coming and being on our podcast. Absolutely. Twice. I loved it. Anytime. I'm just going to come and ask questions because I'm you should. so stupid when it comes to finance. So yeah, let's come it. hang out with us. That's true. I am the dumbest one. I'm so normal. You're so normal when it comes to finance. <laughs> I know you wanted to talk about the tax benefits last time. Definitely tax benefits. And also, oh, one of the things we did was we waived escrow by... Maybe like good getting I escrow confounded me for the longest time. Like what it was, what it meant. What part of your escrow? Like, are you like having to withhold tax- your own property taxes? Yeah, we pay. No, we pay our all taxes in a lump sum instead of doing it over time. And that was something my parents were encouraging us to do. Oh. Um, but I that was for a long time did may not make any sense to me. Yeah, I'm really curious why your parents are a big fan of that i think it's just because they don't like well because then if they come back and they tell you how much the taxes are you can fight it you know rather than paying it in installments i think that was kind of what they described it to me you fight it anyway i know fight it anyways (laughs) Um, it's, it's not a it's not bad at all to so so the property tax escrow thing is in my monthly mortgage payment every month they the bank that holds my mortgage automatically pulls out one twelfth of what we think my property taxes are for this year. Yeah. 
So if I have $6,000 property taxes, every month they pull 500 and they just save that in an escrow account until the end of the year when I get my property tax bill and then they pay it out of that. But you don't know your property taxes until the end of the year when you get that bill. So you're kind of setting the escrow amounts as a guess. Yeah. And sometimes your property taxes come in below that and you actually get a refund from your escrow. Which is what happened to me. That's what happened to me this year, especially after fighting it. Because you can fight it and keep it down. Yeah. So you keep your estimate a little high and then you kind of get like basically a tax refund out of your escrow account. Um, So what it sounds like you're doing is you're actually... You're just paying your mortgage right now. Right now. And at the end of the year, when you get that tax bill, you need to have enough money in your account to cover the full tax bill. So it's putting a lot more of the burden and planning on you. Right. It's just a different way of doing it. And yeah, we definitely have to be more proactive in terms of saving, but I don't mind doing that. Yeah. That's very good. I, as somebody who has gotten myself in trouble with taxes by having the account with the tax money sitting there and then had to rob Peter to pay Paul, and that was very convenient, <laughs> I could not do that to my escrow account. So the, the escrow works very well for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so when you had uh, messaged the other day about what was it like taxes i had no idea what you were talking about i was like uh, i'll check and i was like <laughs> what the fuck is she talking about <laughs> well that's a great question i have because we bought this year so technically next year we'll be taking into the account that we purchased a home and mm-hmm. putting that into our taxes so what kind of benefits do you get from buying a home into on your personal tax return is a big thing that i have no idea about Totally. So before we get into the specific tax benefits of buying a home, I just want to break down the difference between deductions and credits, because I think that's super confusing in the U.S. system. So basically, when you are calculating your taxes, you take your adjusted gross income, which is like the income the government actually considers taxable. And that might be lowered by things like contributing to traditional retirement accounts. So just for example, your actual salary might be $100,000, but if you contributed $10,000 to your traditional retirement account, your actual taxable income comes down to Mm $90,000. That's like adjusted gross income. So then deductions come off of that income before they apply the tax bracket. So if you get a $5,000 deduction for something, that's going to bring it from 90 down to 85,000. So your actual income that gets taxed is after the deductions come off. A tax credit, on the other hand, is money that comes off your actual tax bill. So after you've calculated your taxes, like let's say your tax bill was $6,000 at the end of the year after it's been calculated and you had a $1,000 tax credit, then you would actually only owe $5,000. So deductions come off of your income and credits actually come off of your tax bill. So deductions are kind of putting you in a place, a lower starting point to make your tax to make your overall taxes less. Correct, because our tax system here in this country is progressive, so the more income you make, you might be taxed at a higher percentage of that income. So it might lower your tax bracket. So that's where the deductions come into play. Okay, so now that we know the difference between those, um, definitely the biggest benefit that most people are familiar with is your ability to deduct mortgage interest. So every month, 
when you're paying your mortgage, you're also paying interest against that loan. This is where that interest rate on your mortgage comes into Mm -hmm. play. So at the end of the year, you get to add up the total amount of interest you paid this year, and you get to deduct that off of your income before Mm -hmm. you figure out That does sound vaguely familiar now. I feel like TurboTax <laughs> asked me that. They definitely they took, did. They definitely did. They okay, did. <laughs> it's all coming back to me now in waves now that you're mentioning it. It definitely calculated out how much I had paid in interest and then deducted that from my income. For okay, sure. so I'm going to make a prediction or I think based on math, which has been a long time, is it better for you when you first buy a house because your interest is higher that you'll have a, more deductions when you're just purchased the home than like 15 years from now? Correct, because the total annual interest you're paying goes down over the life of the loan because you're paying it on the remaining balance. Right. Um, Are the tax benefits the same if you live in the house versus if you don't live in the house? Yeah, they are. They are a little different. Um, And I think a lot of this came out actually in the new tax bill that was I think it was the 2017 tax code update. And that actually put limits on the amount of mortgage interest you can deduct. Mm. So for your primary residence, you can deduct interest on a mortgage up to 750000 So if you buy a $1 million house, you can deduct the interest on three quarters of it. But you cannot deduct the full 100% interest you paid that year because mm. you don't get to deduct the interest from seven fifty to a million. Mm-hmm. But as long as your house, your mortgage is less than 750, you can deduct all of your interest. Um, I believe for investment properties, there's no limit. Weird. Why would that be true? <laughs> yeah. But I believe the reason they put the limit on primary residences is because people in really, really high property value and high tax states like California were getting a massive benefit that the rest of the country wasn't. And that was being subsidized against the federal income taxes. So someone in California was getting to write off all the interest on their $3 million house, whereas someone in Kansas is writing off the interest on their $200,000 house. And so someone in Kansas is having to pay more of their taxes mm-hmm. than someone in a high-cost state. Yeah, And that's a primary residence issue because they're choosing to live there as opposed to investments. You don't typically want to invest in something that's like an outsized burden Yeah, in that way. But primary residences are different. So I believe that's the reason reason they put that in it was to put the like it was more of like a national cap like everyone in any state can write off up to seven hundred fifty thousand, which is a pretty generous mm-hmm. amount i mean obviously we're seeing houses here go way over that now but we've hit a point where we're a high cost of living mm-hmm. city okay so i pulled up my u.s bank um app yes. and i'm looking at my monthly payments so for my mortgage payment it it's um $2,142 every month. And then the principal is $572.89. Obviously, these numbers like adjust a little bit per month, but this is like about the same every month. The interest is $945.29. And the escrow is $623.95. So can I know we have talked about escrow a million times and you literally just mentioned it, but can you... <laughs> I still don't totally understand why it's charging me escrow every month and interest. Like, how are they? Okay. So Sorry, that- I know you literally no, just explained this and my brain is like not <laughs> not absorbing it at all. It's because escrow is a ridiculous word that it means doesn't nothing. Mean anything. <laughs> well, and also, doesn't it mean... I've heard people say that they're in escrow. What does that mean? I've also so heard you, that from Yeah, you. you will have funds... In escrow. So escrow is a third party holding account. Yeah. So for example, your earnest money, 
Yes, when, that goes when, in escrow. Yes, okay. you send that to the title company and they put that in an escrow account that nobody gets to touch until either you close on the house and that gets wrapped into your closing costs or you back out and that earnest money gets transferred to the owners of the house that you backed out on. So it's in escrow, but you're not in escrow. <laughs> this is like this is like when I was a kid and people would say someone was in a coma and I thought they were in a place called a coma. <laughs> and then for years, I didn't realize it was a coma. <laughs> it is a strange turn of phrase anyway. Yeah. A coma. In a coma. He's in a coma. In a, he just went it's to a, a coma. place. <laughs> like, that place sounds like it sucks. Yeah. Yes, yes. No, it's great. People take care of you. You don't pay for anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Taylor. So the money that is being escrowed from your monthly mortgage payment is being held for your property tax bill at the end of the year. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have the principal that's going to pay off the actual amount of money you, quote unquote, paid for the house. Yeah. And you have the interest, interest, which is going to the bank that wrote you the loan to pay them for the privilege of getting to spread that payment out over 15 or 30 years. And then you have your escrow account, which is being withheld for property taxes. Escrow can also be used for paying your insurance as well. Oh, yes. Actually, it probably is in that too, because a lot of us wrap our house insurance into our mortgage payment. So if we overpay the remainder... Well, so, I don't so your your home insurance tends to be like most insurance policies. It's a fixed amount. You know what it is for the year. And so they just add that in and then they take the estimated property taxes and they escrow that. So both of those might be in there, as Maggie said. Now, this is a perfect opportunity to ask the benefits of doing an all cash offer versus getting a home loan, because obviously paying interest sucks. But is the is it really better to do all cash if you have the money? Mortgage math. <laughs> Mortgage math. Well, there are benefits math. to it, but also there are probably better ways you could be spending that money. Right. Yes. Yeah. So so many things on this, right? And there's a lot that goes into buying a house and whether or not you want to do it in cash and whether that's even possible. So oftentimes it's not even possible for people. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, I've got it. Okay. I have to sign these documents. <laughs> Oh shit! Freaking out. Becca's put an offer for a house. It's very exciting. Becca's having a panic attack. It only gets worse. Don't worry. Is buying a house, and she was super depressed about it last week, and now she's about to buy a house, and she's freaking out. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful circle of life. Literally last week when we talked about this, I said buying a house is not a good time. Yeah. But owning a house we can you. be better. We warned you. Eventually. I don't want it anymore. I hate it. <laughs> can I take a picture of you? This is me signing documents. Are we sure this is a good idea and this is not the worst idea? If it was the it's worst idea. idea, there's no way Zach, Zach would, would prep those you. documents. Yeah, yeah, Zach wouldn't let you do it if it was a bad Zach idea. Zach would never let you do it if it was a bad idea. I wanted to buy this one house and <laughs> Zach told me over and over not to do it. <laughs> yeah. Ten different ways to he was say just like, he was no. Just like, we went and saw it and he was like, don't do it. <laughs> uh, don't do it. It's very exciting. <laughs> well, you're feeling all of the emotions we did, so if you that need, feels normal um, at least. Anyone to hold your hand or make you a drink, <laughs> massage your shoulders. Yeah, we're all here for it. 
we can just all four hug you while you sign. Yeah, we could do like a tight bear hug cone situation. From what it sounds like, it's like we had a pretty, a relatively benign experience and it could have been a whole lot worse. The last year was really brutal. Right now is actually a lot better just as far as like things seem to be stabilizing, pricing. You're not having to put the crazy appraisal guarantees on every single offer, only on very specific ones. Mm -hmm. Things seem a lot better. A few things are starting to sit one or two weeks, (laughs) which is freaking the sellers out, even though that is still an exceptionally fast timeline for selling a house. Exactly. Um, But so, yeah, the, the market's getting... It's normalizing. Yeah, it's not a healthy market by any means, but it is getting a little more predictable. Okay, so it looks like you're paying this last year, you paid a little over. Well, you guess you didn't have the house for the whole year. Based on your current mortgage payment, mm-hmm. it looks like in a 12 month time frame, you'll pay about 11000 in mortgage interest. Yeah. So you get to take 11000 off your income before finding out what tax bracket your income falls in. So that's a pretty substantial yeah. benefit. Yeah. Something in the range of like a $350,000 mortgage mm-hmm. got you a $10,000 tax benefit. Mm-hmm. And you could have bought something up to 750000 So you could potentially be getting like a $20,000 tax benefit. Right. In the early years of your mortgage. And it's not something you can't do if you're renting. So it's a big benefit of house ownership. So what are some of the things that you can do to sweeten your deal? Zach's going to kill me if I publish all of oh, the secret okay, sauce. Right, <laughs> well, one thing you can do is say that, like, you don't care about the inspection, basically. Like, regardless of what the inspection comes back, I'm still buying the house. Right. And then the owner will be like, cool, I know there's a bunch of fucking shit wrong with this house. So I'm going to pick you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So so the two big things that you can waive are that appraisal guarantee where you're like waiving the appraisal and you're going to make up the gap in cash at closing if the property appraisal doesn't come in at what you offered. So that's a big one. But that that's a lot of money up front. And then the other one is what Maggie just referred to, which is basically waiving option. So you're not going to you're not going to have an option period at the beginning. You're immediately going under contract and the earnest money is now at risk. And you can still get an inspection, but it means that you're not going to walk away for a cheap option fee if something comes back in the inspection. So you better, in all cases with a lot of these strategies, you better have a good team backing you up, advising you on that. Because if you have a realtor who is not familiar with actual housing fundamentals and stuff from each era and common house problems, you don't want to trust their opinion on whether or not you should waive your option and and waive that inspection. But if you have a realtor or someone on your team you're working with who has gone through the house before you put that offer in and has really looked at it and gone, yes, we pretty much know what we're looking at here. There's like a 10% gray area, but based on the age of the house, the updates that we can see have been made, you know, looking at the exposed plumbing to see if it's copper, all of those types of things, then you can make sort of an educated guess that nothing's going to come back in the inspection that's a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to just do that without having somebody who really knows houses. Right. I want to say that my house came in at like three, like just under like 368 or something. And then I think I, I put in like 6,000 or something to make up the difference. You might have. The other thing is, if you didn't have an appraisal guarantee, what normally happens 
under normal market conditions where there aren't 10 backup buyers waiting in the wings, uh-huh. what would happen is if you offered 375 and the value of the house came back at 370 that means you could walk away because it didn't make value right. under normal market conditions. And your earnest money may not be at risk depending on how your contract was written. Because mm-hmm. that's like um, a financing back out clause. Mm-hmm. And what you would do then is you, that opens up negotiation in the middle. Like you're under contract, but you can still go back to them and say, hey, I'm not going to be able to make up that 5K gap. Are you willing to take that hit? And we'll just drop the offer price to 370 and call it good. Or you might split the difference where each of you take half the hit. So each of you, like they lose two and a half grand on their side and you contribute an extra two and a half grand. So it's usually more of a negotiation trigger if your Mm -hmm. appraisal doesn't come in at or above value. Right. Do you happen to know or anyone happen to know what their mortgage insurance how much it costs? Has cost? Yeah, from mine's about a hundred dollars a month. Okay. Oh, it's less than that, like fifty dollars a month. I thought you were talking about home insurance. My home insurance is about a hundred dollars a month. My PMI is like fifty bucks a month. I okay. don't know what a PMI is. You don't have PMI if you put twenty percent down. Aha, got it. Wait, I don't have PMI anymore. Probably. It sounds like a condition. <laughs> I have no idea what PMI. Is. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really PMI right now. What they tell me. <laughs> really cranky. I'm PMI right now. <laughs> okay, so with a lot of the financing options that are available to us nowadays, you can put down as little as five percent, or three and a half percent, or even zero percent if you're a veteran and you have access to certain programs. Now, what that does it means the bank is taking on more risk up front. And so if you put down less than 20%, they may require you to carry PMI, which is mortgage insurance. What's the P stand for? Mm, Primary property? Principal? I should know this. Pussy. I thought it was property. It's, but it's pussy. It's pussy. Did someone Google If you're that? a woman yeah, trying to buy a house, uh, they, they charge you pussy, pussy insurance. Pussy mortgage insurance. Pussy mortgage insurance. Because you're more of a risk if you're a woman. Private private mortgage insurance oh so i have to get insurance so it's wrapped into your payment already okay when you get it and then what happens is once you have paid off and you have 20 percent equity in your house like enough payments have gone by the pmi automatically falls off Mm, of your payments every month there's another way which is really key here in austin because it can take a while for you to hit 20 percent equity and that to fall out if you get like a three and a half percent down payment Mm -hmm. um but if you're in a market that's appreciating pretty quickly within a couple years you can just get an appraisal done on your house to show the new value and then you get to count that new value above what you paid as equity and if it puts you over the 20 percent mark then that pmi can fall off early that's what i did yeah. And so that means less payments for you per month? Or what's the benefit of that? Yes. So you're paying a little bit extra on your mortgage every month into this insurance policy that if you default on the mortgage, they take care of it with the bank. Got it. Okay. But once you hit 20% equity, then that just goes away. So if you refinanced your house because your house value just went up 50% or something, it would automatically fall off because it just puts you there. Mm. I have another question because she brought up refinancing because everyone's talking about refinancing their house right now because interest rates are so low. Mm -hmm. But when we bought, 
interest rate our interest rate was amazing yeah so never refinance is that, is that what, okay <laughs> that was what i was saying to chris in the car i was like does this people never refinance our house and i guess that just answered my what question. was your interest rate 2.5 yeah no you you're fucking bitch that is insane I know. you're I you're golden for forever <laughs> yeah you yeah there's just no you way there's no way was that because of your timing or y'all just had really stellar fucking finances um i think it was definitely timing it, yeah it's i mean we largely we very yeah. much tried to make we had great credit when we came in we did all of the things zach told us to not do which was not buy a car or not you know co-sign anything Hmm. um but i really do think it was just because of the timing like interest rates were incredibly low when we got under contract it it was december Mm -hmm. and then you were under contract for sort of an extended period of time because your house was still being finished building yes and you have a really badass mortgage broker who kept an eye on the rates and Somehow she managed to lock it even lower than what she promised you. Yeah, and she, but she was also telling us that we had to get things, once the house was done, she very much encouraged us to get things going quickly because I guess, is there only so amount of, amount of time you can keep that? So if I think if we had stretched out any longer, we might not, we might have lost it. Yeah, so when, they, when your mortgage broker locks your rate, that usually expires within like 30 days. Oh, well, so you want to get closed before those 30 days. How did we keep it then? Because she didn't lock your rate because she knew the timeline was long. So she kept watching and watching. She can also pay. Oh, my God. She's awesome. I got to buy her some flowers or something. She is amazing. (laughs) She is pregnant now. Oh, good for her. Buy her some baby shit. (laughs) I will buy her baby shit. She, um, so they can watch and they can also sometimes pay to extend the lock. But then that starts costing you money, right? So it's this right. real you juggling have to, like, play with optimization. The numbers to see, yeah. Okay, got so, it. So um, another news, I was looking at. I really like this U.S. Bank app. It's like very user friendly. But I was looking to find my mortgage, my interest rate, and it's actually lower than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> what is I'm it? At, I'm at three point three seven five. Oh, you're fine. Which is really not bad. I no, thought it was that's like, dude, great. that's amazing. I thought it was three point seven five. And not 3.375. Even 3.75 would be pretty good. Yeah, that yeah. is, 3.75 would still be amazing. So we just did our refi, and that's because we bought our house in 2014. I guess our, our conventional mortgage happened at the end of 2015, and our rate was somewhere in the mid fours, because that's what interest rates were then. And I was still very happy with that. Also, yeah. my parents were saying on their first house, I think their interest rate was like 12%. Yeah. You know, my, it was something my insane, you know? It was so, like, it used to be like 12. <laughs> very my spoiled. mom was like 18% or something. <laughs> they thought they were getting a deal at the time. But the house also costs like a fifth of what it would now. But still. yeah. So Becca, I'm assuming if you do get an under contract interest rate for you would be pretty low as well. Um. <laughs> yeah. So... I was quoted a pretty low one when I talked to the loan officer, um, but I think I just asked Zach if we locked anything in, and he said something about we have to wait till the market's open on Monday, something, mm-hmm. something, something, something. It's a banking thing. Yeah, but his estimate is like 3.25. Nice. Um, That's awesome. So I don't, yeah. When they pulled my credit, I have I had exceptional credit, and um, yeah. Whatever else it is, they look for cash is trash. <laughs> well, well, and, and interest rates are su- interest rates are super dynamic. They're not fixed, so the actual rate that the mortgage broker can get you depends on what's available from the mortgage providers, what they're actually willing to take as an interest rate. Mm-hmm. Right. So, 
like a few years ago, they weren't going to sell us a mortgage for less than four and a half percent or something like that. And now week to week, day to day, it completely changes. But right now it's sitting somewhere in that three range for for if you're a really good credit holder. (gasps) Are you under contract? No, I just did it. I signed the contract. Oh my God, you did it. Five PM yet? It was awful. <laughs> you did it! Yes! <laughs> oh my God, Becca's melting into the floor. <laughs> okay. How do you feel? Awful. I was <laughs> visualizing myself as a really powerful woman. You gotta do the who who owns fucking property, <laughs> and it this helps. Is the first step. <laughs> yes. Well, that's so. gone forever. It was my ring. <laughs> It's so much <laughs> It's nice being in a room full of women who own fucking property. It made me feel because we were all peer pressured to you to do it. <laughs> yeah, but you were also like, meanwhile, talking about all the horrifying things about owning a home, just like signing this, like sweating and dying. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think I've. In- well, okay, we're very new homeowners, but I haven't encountered anything truly horrifying yet. Also, I just submitted an offer on a duplex and in austin everyone is putting in way 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 over their offer and i put on five thousand over the offer so this is just a first step in the process of buying buying something for sure for sure Um, there's a good chance you won't even get it eventually you'll be immune to the stress yeah yeah (laughs) i feel like the first i had to go through it the first time i had to go sign those fucking papers and then get out the other side. So whether it's accepted or not, I feel successful. <laughs> I bet it's accepted, though. Maybe you'll be one and done. Maybe I'll be one and done. That seems bad. That seems well, awful. I mean, I don't know. You could be like Maggie. Yeah, I was a one and done. <laughs> I was a one and I was a one and done. We were one and done. And then my friends that we recommended to Zach were one and done. Then again, Max was also many and done. Many, no. many and done. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so this was the only o- this was the only offer you put in was in this house. Mm-hmm. The only offer you put in was in the only offer you- <laughs> I mean, did Zach uh I- suggest the offer you put in? He suggested 5 to 10 over and I was like, "Okay, let's do 5." <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, that sounds great." Um and he didn't make me feel bad about it. So, I think he did think it sounded good. Um, and I basically, our unanimous thought is we both really like the property. I think I like it a lot more than Zach because I like Round Rock a lot more than Zach does. Um, for, for like uh, financial reasons, he likes Austin more. Um, but also for financial reasons, I like Round Rock more. <laughs> um, and yes, this was far more in my comfort zone price wise than the some of the other stuff we were talking about. Um, even if they made sense long term, short term, I at least as of right now, I wouldn't be able to sleep through the night putting in offers on some of those properties. It's good to know that about yourself. Yeah, and I might get there. Just like I never thought I'd want to buy a duplex. I thought it was way too big, and then I had a like. Well, Julie broke it down for me, and then Zach broke it down for me, and then Zach broke it down for me, and then Zach broke it down for me, and then finally I was like, <laughs> okay, and I spent a week on it, and then. It took me being with my mommy, getting coffee, and her being like, I think it makes sense. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Hey, but I don't know if anyone's ever done a podcast of someone live signing an offer. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. wild. That could be something. <laughs> Just hear, well, in hearing them we break take down. real estate I've, podcasts to the next level. <laughs> I'm sure there's a podcast where you hear someone who's signed a lot of things like that do it. Not in the moment, though. Not in the stress. That realization this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. It came quickly. <laughs> it was really fun yesterday before it mattered. And then today it was so much less fun. It was crazy. No. What? And then once they accept your offer, it's going to continue to not I really be that fun. That. Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, it's not a, not a right now problem. <laughs> Just so you know what you're walking into. Maybe let's hone in a little. <laughs> let's run through the rest of the tax advantages and then maybe jump down to the checklist part that kind of takes you through from a year before you buy a house until after you buy the house and just like, here are the steps, here's the money you need, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. So we definitely talked about mortgage interest. The next big deduction that you may be eligible for is to deduct your mortgage insurance. So if you have PMI on your mortgage and your adjusted gross income, like we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. if it's under a hundred thousand, then you're eligible to take that as a deduction, your your mortgage insurance total. Um and then it kind of phases out up until an adjusted gross income of a hundred and nine thousand by current rates, I believe current rates. Um, if you make more than that, then you're not eligible for that write-off. Your mortgage insurance doesn't tend to be a very expensive thing. I think Maggie was saying hers is maybe 50 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. Was, yes. Was, sorry, before she appraised out of it. So she appraised out of it early, right? Got it. Mm -hmm. By cashing in on the new equity that she got in her house from the values just going up. So without her even having to pay in the full 20%, she got to appraise and and claim the appreciation as her 20% equity. That is crazy. How quick was that? It was wild. Uh, I've officially owned my house for three years now. I put 3% down just for reference. Wow. Right. And that's actually on a, like you did a full on refinance. You don't even necessarily have to refinance your mortgage to appraise out of mortgage insurance. You can just get an appraisal done where they will say, oh yeah, we're going to give you credit for that additional value. Okay. That's cool. That's mm -hmm. cool. You're cool. <laughs> Thanks, Becca. <laughs> <You're> cool. <laughs> Another much more complicated deduction is for mortgage points. And this is something if you have, if you purchased mortgage points when you got your mortgage, you probably know you did. So you might know what those are. If you don't know what those are, you pro they probably don't apply to you. But at a very basic level, this involves paying money upfront at your closing in order to lower your interest rate. So you're basically oh. paying money when you get your mortgage in order to have a lower interest rate for the life of your mortgage. Mm -hmm. If you do that, you can often write off that amount that you spent on the mortgage points over the life of your loan. There are certain circumstances in which you can write that off all in the year that you buy the house. There's like nine criteria. It's all listed on the IRS. If you're not sure, you can look at your um, loan documents from when you bought the house and you'll be able to see the mortgage points in there or talk to your mortgage broker. Obviously, they're going to know. Right. And they'll be able to tell you. There are a couple different type of mortgage points, too. They're not all deductible, but the ones that you pay for generally are. So that's like a that's a really weird one, but it is a thing just to have on the radar in case that is something you did. Okay. Interesting. Um, and then there are 
deductions called SALT deductions when you file your federal taxes, and that's state and local taxes. There are a lot of different things that go into that, but one of them are your property taxes if you live in a state with property taxes. So here in Texas, obviously, we have property taxes for Texas. Do we have Texas property taxes or just city of Austin? I'm sure it's Texas, but I could be wrong now. I honestly don't even know. Okay, well, you might have state property taxes and local property taxes for the town or city you live in. And this is a way for you to deduct those taxes from your income when you go to file your federal income taxes. So if you live in a property tax state, that can lower the taxes you pay to the federal government in your income Mm -hmm. taxes. Because you've already been on the hook. There are a bunch of other taxes that go into that as well. Like if you are in a state with sales tax and stuff, I think you can also tally those up throughout the year if you really want to work hard to do that. Mm-hmm. You can sort of keep track and then get credit back on your federal taxes. Based on a very quick Google, it looks like we here in Austin only play um, county. So Travis County or city property taxes and not also a separate state tax. Okay. That makes sense. And yeah, it's uh, important, I don't know, maybe interesting to note that Texas has high property taxes in general because one of the reasons for that is because we don't have income tax. Correct. And I believe that one of the only other states that does that is Florida. And I could Mm -hmm. be wrong, there might be another state, but I think it's only Texas and Florida that don't have income tax. Um, Therefore, both those states have higher property taxes. Mm -hmm. They rely on property tax to fund school district initiatives and everything else in the state. Uh, Most states will fall into either a property tax state or an income tax state, or they'll have a mix and both of those will be lower because they kind of balance each other out. Also, I lied. There's nine states that don't have income tax. It's actually a pretty decent mix. Mm -hmm. Um, Alaska, Florida, Nevada, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, and Washington. Wow, that is all. That is a splattering. Yeah, spattering. Pretty diverse group politically, right there. Yeah, yeah, really um, diverse. Like shockingly diverse, I would say, if I may. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, sales tax. You know, is the other big one for states. You have like income taxes, property taxes, and sales taxes. Yeah. That they kind of figure out where they're pulling their main revenue from. Interesting. Um. Okay, and then the other big thing, obviously. I am not an advocate of selling your house. I think it makes a lot more sense financially over the long term, if possible, that you keep a primary residence and turn it into an investment property, even if you need to buy a different primary residence. Mm -hmm. The math is kind of really beautiful on that. And you can see that in our mortgage math breakdowns. Yes, which look amazing. Um, But if you are in a situation where you think it makes sense to sell your house, or maybe you made an investment that wasn't super great and you want to roll that money into a better investment, so you really do want to clear this one in order to free up that capital. Mm-hmm. Um, if a house is considered your primary residence, your capital gains taxes on the profits you've made since you bought are shielded up to a certain amount. So as long as you've lived in your house for two of the five years leading up to the sale, you can claim it as your primary residence. and there are no capital gains taxes charged on the profits up to 250000 if you're single and up to 500000 if you're married filing jointly. So, for example, if you bought a house 20 years ago that was 300000 and you are single and you sold it for five fifty, your profit on that was 250000 and you don't pay any capital gains on that. Wow. If you sell it for six hundred. 
you'll pay capital gains taxes on 50000 okay. So anything above that 250 mark. Again, if you're married, so file get married. <laughs> I mean, it depends. You know, it's all of these different. How much is your house worth? Then get married. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's actually super interesting. Yeah. Well, and it, it is interesting, all these different tax benefits. Some of them are the same, whether you're single or married filing jointly, and then some are half, if you're. While we're on this topic, I want to recommend a book um, that much of the real estate people recommend. It definitely like has some moments that you should take with a grain of salt, but overall good. Um, it's called Loopholes in Real Estate. Ooh. And it's basically about all the different tax things you can do um, that mm. are only available through the purchasing and selling of real estate oh that's cool is it a long read or is it like pretty quick to the point no it's like maybe 200 pages oh okay it's like yeah that sounds awesome yeah yeah it's such a sexier title than my favorite real estate tax <laughs> books which are like tax advantages of real estate and advanced tax strategies for yeah loopholes in real estate is definitely a <laughs> life hacks and hot takes on real estate tax there's something there i love it yes absolutely getting raunchy with real estate oh my god yeah getting in so deep <laughs> I I have mixed feelings about the term loophole just because I feel like it has a negative connotation, but I think there's, I mean, it's true. There's some loopholes, quote unquote loopholes, which are just really beneficial to know about. I think that's actually a really good thing to talk about because anytime there is like a certain privilege granted in the tax code, it is called a loophole, but they're not accidental. Right. The right, way that yeah. we refer to them as loopholes makes it sound like to us, this is right. a loophole that was an accident they that people are taking about. advantage of. We like of. are hacking the system. And in reality, the tax code is a way for the government to encourage certain behaviors and discourage other ones. Yeah. So all those loopholes are encouraging. In this case, the tax code is largely written to benefit real estate investment. Mm -hmm. They're not loopholes. They are intentional benefits to encourage that behavior. Yeah. Because it right. benefits the country right now. And if that changes in the future, the tax code will change. The tax code is extremely dynamic. Makes I agree. Sense. But I think that's a great thing to point out. Because, yeah, loophole, definitely. If you're taking advantage of the loophole, right. it, it feels, feels a little really dirty. slimy. Yeah. And I think the big people who paid the lobbyists to get the loophole put in that encourages this mm -hmm. want the masses of us to feel slimy about it yes. so that they get to keep that advantage over us I because we're not yeah. going to go through the loophole well and that's part of it too i was talking to one of my um best friends who's not on this podcast about uh the roth conversion ladder mm -hmm. and his reaction was oh yeah another fucking loophole for those intelligent and like rich to take advantage of and i was like but you can too you just have to learn about it yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. this is literally is hard i know but like you just have to <laughs> learn about it and then you can do it yeah it's like the whole Roth system was literally written to benefit us as the mass market person, yeah. but it is highly used by extremely rich people because they can benefit even more so from it yeah. because of the way it was well, written. Well, and people who know about it, right? And people right. who know about it. Right. And they, like, pay people to, like, tell them about it. Yeah. 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 So that's what, yeah, loophole, not necessarily a bad thing. It does have an added connotation, and a lot of people, at least the way I feel about it is it's, like, Oh, you know about this loophole because you're some rich person who knows loopholes. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I don't think that's the right way to really think about it, at least in real estate and in this scenario. 
Okay, does someone want to run us through some of the checklist part? Sure. Someone feel like that's the, yeah, they got Yeah, I think it's appropriate that I do it, given everything. <laughs> given I know nothing and haven't Given that I'm the most shit. experienced here. No, it's just like, it's a checklist yeah, of I, shit you should do when you're buying a house yes, or whatever. Which is literally what you're doing. It just seems relevant. Okay, so Julie's got a checklist for us, and it's really good. And also, if maybe you didn't do anything on this checklist, but you already put in an offer for a property, it's fine. Checklist. (laughs) (laughs) I think you did some of this stuff. I did some of this stuff for sure. Um, Okay, so ideally six to 12 months before you start looking for a house. So this is like serious prep work. You need to interview realtors and mortgage brokers. We have shit talked, shitty realtors, rightfully so. And we could really keep kicking that dead horse, but you have to find a good fucking realtor. If you get a realtor and they don't get great vibes, you need to back off because you need a realtor who's actually going to speak critically about a property. If you walk in and they're not speaking critically about it, they're not helping you. They just want your money. Get the fuck out um, and find someone better and just ask around, talk to people who have actually worked with people, not know someone who worked with someone um and talk about their experiences and that's why you need to start six to 12 months in advance because it takes time to find a good fucking realtor unless you're in austin we can hook you up hard but- yeah <laughs> if you're in austin we have the company for you yeah and it is yeah yeah so um, best crawfish boil i've ever been to <laughs> seriously the best cra- oh my god i just realized i'm like a proper client now <laughs> I got fucking gypped out of my crawfish boil because I bought my house during the pandemic. I still want my crawfish boil. Don't worry. We all want that crawfish boil. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So mortgage brokers as well. Uh, Your realtor might have someone they recommend. You might uh, off like look for some second opinions. Like, please do that. Talk to your bank. Do whatever you want to do. Um, meet with your mortgage. Oh yeah. So you're going to want to meet with your mortgage broker way in advance. So they have all your finances and there's a lot of documents, not like a, a billion documents, but like a lot of documents, basically the same amount of documents you need to like file your taxes and maybe a tiny bit more. Um, so yeah, meet with them now if you want to buy in the next year so that you can just get it all filed away and you'll probably have to update it once you get closer to putting in an offer, but get that done. Check it off your list. Well, and also if you meet with them earlier, then they can give you tips on, hey, here's some ways you can remove your credit in the next six months before you put an offer. Yes. Or um, here's, yep. yeah, I lost that train of thought, but that's basically what I was trying to say. Well, in the yeah. first, if you're meeting with them a year before you're actually planning, you don't necessarily need all the paperwork you will when you are actually trying to get your pre-approval. Yeah. But you can have a meeting with them, sit down, say, here's my general income, here's my financial picture, here are the debts that I have, and... One, they can give you an idea of what you're going to qualify for, just a very top level idea of that. And then they can also point you in the right direction as far as like clear these debts, don't worry about these ones. And oftentimes what we think we should do to make ourselves look better for the bank isn't what the banks actually care about. So definitely go meet with the mortgage broker six months to a year Mm -hmm. before you want to buy and they can kind of clean you up in the way that banks are looking for because it's very different than what we think. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You can get your credit up. You can do all these different things that make mm-hmm. you look like a more, you know, viable or more attractive buyer. Because I, I, you probably already mentioned this, but um, Becca talks about how she had a ton of cash on hand and like thinking like, oh, this will make me look really attractive because I have no problem like putting down like a big down payment because I have all this cash on hand. But 
in reality, when you mentioned that, the your broker was like, no one gives a shit. Like, that it, literally, <laughs> word for word, no one gives a shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is hilarious. Yeah, I was like, yeah, so I like a really good saver and I'm not a high earner, but I, I, mean, I can like show through my bank statements how much I save every month. And like, surely that shows that I can afford X mortgage. And she was like, yeah, no one gives a shit. Unless you were paying for the house in cash outright, they don't care at all how much money you have, which should show you how successful they intend you to be on these sorts of things. But I don't know. Banks are the worst because they, yeah, like they're looking for, they have one box, one type of box to fill. And if you don't easily fit in it, they don't care. Yeah. So if you don't have a W-2 job. Yep. With in, they count that as like income into the future, as if you have job security. Which yeah. hello, no one has which job security. No one with a W two has job security anymore. Yes. They can literally fire you at any moment. Right. No they would, one has job. They security. would rather take a W two person with no excess cash in their bank account mm-hmm. than take Becca, who has plenty of cash in the bank account and a long track run of being self employed. Who could cover her mortgage like a year and like yeah. up to a year yeah. of unemployment. Banks are crazy. So yeah. count on your mortgage broker to really lay that out for you and and help package you they are your advocate as far as your financing goes so be honest with them yeah which like you know when i was getting my mortgage i'm a freelancer and i'm not a high earning freelancer either um so i the only way i was able to get a mortgage any bank to back up a mortgage was to get my mom to co-sign with me and i had to beg her <laughs> like the most begging i've ever done um and so unless you're like super fucking privileged and lucky and have someone that's willing to co-sign with you, it's going to be really hard to get a mortgage uh, from a bank if you're a freelancer or don't have a traditional W-2. But if you do, if you are a freelancer and you don't have a traditional W-2 and you really want to buy property. Well, um, and being a freelancer doesn't automatically mean that you have to have a co-signer. Yeah. But you typically have to have a certain amount of time that you've proven. So like two years worth of tax returns as a freelancer. Yeah. And they kind of base your income off of that. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah, we talked about the mortgage broker. Next on the checklist is like the best part. And that's house shopping. That's when you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't sleep, you look at Redfin, you scroll, 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 and you get emails from your real estate agent automatically every day that gives you some properties and you're just like, okay, this is great. And it's just a lot of fun and it's very hypothetical and you're all very removed from it. And you get to pull houses up and you're like, don't you love this? That then, <laughs> sorry, that just have y'all y'all have y'all seen the SNL episode, the Zillow. How, the Zillow yeah. one is it is so, so fucking it's like the good. new dating app. If you have it, watch the Zillow SNL episode. You have to watch that. It well, is like, so fucking literally funny. describes my entire like last three years of house shopping. <laughs> we'll it's put a link amazing. in the show notes. Yes. It is, yeah, it's so, so funny. Yeah, I so enjoyable. Um, okay, then it's decision time. So you find a house that you actually want to move forward to. You know what that means. Once you found the one, there's a series of things that happen. Some of us are learning. The first thing uh, is, okay, so yeah, there's under contract, which means they've accepted your offer. Right, Julie? Correct. Uh, Then there's the option period where you've got a week-ish. 
It depends on the market here in Austin. It's been crazy. So there's been like three day option periods, which works as long as your whole team of professionals, like if your realtor has an inspector that they know they can get out within that period, you can't offer a three day option period if you can't get done in the option what you need to do. Mm -hmm. So but if you have that really well built team already set up, where like, obviously, Zach would have called our preferred inspector and gotten verification that he could make it out to that property within the three days. Mm-hmm. More often, your inspection period is going to be seven to 10 days in most markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine, mine's either three or seven days. Okay. I'm not sure. There is a lot of three days written around and a lot of seven days written around. <laughs> um, so that's the option period. That's when you get your inspection done. You have to get it done in the option period. You pay a little fee to even be able to use the option period. And then there's the appraisal, which happens after the option period ends, I am guessing. Yeah, so while you're under contract, typically your mortgage broker will order the appraisal. And then depending on how backed up the appraisers are, it should happen sometime before you need to close. Right now, appraiser, there's like such a shortage of appraisers Mm -hmm. that people aren't even picking up the appraisal jobs and closings are having to get pushed out and stuff like that. But usually your appraisal will come back a week or so before your close date. Yeah. So you'll know what you're dealing with. So we've got that timeline, right? Under contract, option period, inspection, appraisal, and closing. When you close, the things to know is that your homeowner's insurance needs to be accounted for. And you're eventually going to have to fight for your property taxes. My assumption is that that's an immediate issue. (laughs) But you tell us. Well, really break down. um, I mean, well, homeowners insurance, we kind of address. Have we addressed that already today? Yeah, we talked about it when we were talking about escrow a little bit. Is that it's oftentimes just looped in with that. If it's not, you'll be aware. Okay. So the other thing to look into after you buy your house is whether or not your state has homestead protections. And that's essentially if you designate your primary residence as your homestead, that comes with certain benefits like that might be protected if you end up having to go into bankruptcy, your debt collectors cannot come after the value of your house, stuff like that, um, as long as it is designated as a homestead. And it also in the state of Texas gives you certain benefits where it caps the percentage by which your property taxes can go up each year. Mm-hmm. So with us living in a pretty high property tax city, that's very important. So as soon as you buy your house, check to see if homestead protections are available in your state and how to register for those and go ahead and get yourself registered for your homestead. And then when property taxes come around, Um, There are usually ways to fight the property taxes. So each year in Austin specifically or in Travis County, the appraisal office values your house based on the increase in the market and sometimes by potentially very shady things like illegal access to MLS data on what your house actually sold for. Oh, Jesus. This happened a couple years ago. (gasps) Real bad. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And they will try to bump up the value of your house, which then bumps up the amount of property tax you have to pay because your property tax Mm -hmm. is a percentage of your property value. Mm -hmm. So when they try to increase the value, you can go in and you can fight against that increase and argue that your house value has not increased that amount. And oftentimes you will win that battle or at least fall somewhere in the middle, which will save you money, especially it's sort of a compounding interest thing. The The sooner you can keep the value down, if it's capped by homestead protections, it can only ever go up so much so fast. Which so it's kind of 
keeping the, the yeah. compounding interest of those property taxes depressed a little bit. Yeah. So this is a situation where my bad appraisal actually sort of benefited me because the city of Austin um, put my tax rate very high and I had a bad appraisal to show them that my house was not worth nearly what they thought it was. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is really hilarious. So maybe at the end of the day, you come out ahead just because you were able to fight the property taxes right. last year and then yeah. get a new appraisal this year that that doesn't have to go to the county. Exactly. Uh, sort but of a bittersweet to, moment yeah. where I was like, well, at least I can use it for this. That is a really good point. Yes. Yeah. I remember actually this, I think, is something good to mention, too. When I first bought my house, I was getting all sorts of mail. I had no idea what it meant. I just kept taking pictures and sending them to Zach and being like, what does this mean? Is this legit? And he was like, no, it's all trash. Don't respond to it. But half the time, it was the fucking city trying to get me to send in a form telling them how much my house sold for. And it seemed like legit. It was like, you know, let us know, like, you know, we saw that you purchased this house. Let us know what the value is. It seems like very formal, like, oh, this is what everyone's supposed to do. And it's a fucking scam. Well, it's not a scam, but like they're trying to figure out how much you paid for it so that they could increase your property values. It's super fucking sketchy and don't fill it out. Well, there are so many that are like, you qualify for this yes. now that you have a Banks, mortgage. Other banks send me letters. And like it's, once a week I get one. Yeah. I, I still, still get shit. I still yeah. get them. I still get yeah. shit all the time and I just throw it in the, immediately in the trash. But they are very legitimate looking. They look very legit. But well, if you read the very bottom, it says this is not associated with your current home loan owner. So like it looks like it's something like, oh, you should, you know, do this and you'll get money back and blah, 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 refinance. And it's just other banks trying to steal your business away, basically. And they are so manipulative. We Because we just refinanced our house. We've started getting all that mail again. Mm-hmm. And I got one last week and I was showing to Zach and I was like this is insane that this is legal Mm -hmm. and like if it's folded up in thirds the first third that you see when you open it up has like my mailing address and then it has the home loan experts which was our mortgage provider like the the mortgage broker yeah um in like big bold letters and all of their information and then off to the right on that third is the disclaimer that clearly says this is in no way associated with the home loan experts and that should be this that and the other but it looks like it's coming from them and then you're you're just confused by this mismatch and of course your brain is like this is real this is real i don't and the the lingo that they use to in the disclaimer is the type of stuff we all just gloss over anyways right. yeah it's it is so manipulative oh yeah they it's so fucked be up. wary of any mail you get after purchasing a home or refinancing home yeah yes do not hesitate to like reach out to your realtor and ask them for a while until you get used to like okay i've seen this thing again yeah. i've seen this i've seen this Definitely reach out before you start providing any information or money or anything. Yeah, there's like a lot that. of scams yeah. out there for sure. And yeah. it sucks, but it's part of it. I yeah. Guess. Once you buy a house, people are like, oh, you bought a house. Let me introduce you to all these scams you didn't know about. Here's a bunch of mail that you just need to throw right into the trash. I know when I when I filed my LLC for my business, mm-hmm. I started getting these crazy, it's like bills. Bills would come in of like, you owe $60 to, did, and I was like, how do I already owe money? I, I've owned this business for almost three years and I'm just an LLC now and now I owe money. And it was all like <laughs> just shit that made it look like it was bills. And it was just like, if you want to have the following posters, like you have to legally have posters up uh, in oh, your place I, of work. Yeah, I got that too and yeah. I almost fell for it. Almost. They were like, you have to pay this fee. Um, like and each business is legally required to have these posters yeah. like in their place of business. And you have to have this. If someone comes and inspects you, you have to yeah. be able to show it to them. If you pay us money, like we'll take care of it. 
basically. Yeah, oh, but it made it seem so like it's a fee it's you so have to up. pay when really you can print those off online and post them on your wall as a place of it. Because you do have to, for certain services, you have to have these posters on your wall. But you don't have to pay someone 60 bucks. No, you don't have to pay anyone to do it. Yeah, no money just involved. Print them yourself. Oh. Yeah. Okay, let's also just talk about all the different types of money you need during the home buying process. Down cash is not trash. Cash, cash is not trash. Is trash. <laughs> One cash situation. Is very important all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so when you put in an offer on a house, you're going to have both an option fee and earnest money. So that option fee is for the option period, typically seven to 10 days right after you go under contract. That's the amount of time you have to get the house inspected, really consider whether or not you want to move forward. And if you exit the contract during the option period, then you will lose that option money, but you get your earnest money back. The option fee is typically not very high. Um, Even though it's a lot higher now than it used to be, it's Often like five hundred in Austin. Yeah, I think, I think. mine was five hundred. Mm-hmm. Used to be like a hundred dollar option fee for ten days. You know that was like super cheap to force someone to take a house off the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then your earnest money is typically a percentage of the price. Sorry, the option money you don't get back, right? That's just like here's money for taking your house off the market. It'll all go into the amount of money at, in your deal at the very end. It's just money right. you have to front. Like, right, you right, go under right, right. contract, you have one or two days in which you have to actually deliver an option check and an earnest money check to the title company that go into escrow and they're sort of just held in case you back out, then they give it to the seller that you Got backed it. out okay. on. So then your earnest money is typically a percentage of the value unless you're really trying to overshoot it. But often I think that falls in with like one to 2% of the price you offered, you're going to give an earnest money. And what that means is that if you back out of while you have the house under contract, after the option period, if you back out, you will lose that earnest money. Mm -hmm. And that's usually a sizable amount sometimes. I mean, no one wants to be out Becca, you said yours is four and a half thousand. Uh-huh. Like, that's a substantial amount of money to back out on. But what it's doing is it's telling the seller that you're trying to buy the house from that you're serious. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm putting this cash on the line. I'm committed to this deal. And so that's the purpose of the earnest money. Mm. So these are things that you need basically when you go under contract. Then when you get to the end of this and you're actually going to close on the house, you have a couple of costs that go into that. So you're going to have your down payment, which, you know, we've talked about. There are some really low down payment options, like three and a half percent or five percent. As long as you're comfortable with that and the numbers make sense for you, which personally, I think that going for a lower down payment can be a really great option if it allows you to keep more cash in the bank as an emergency fund for that property. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of why I advocate more of the low down payment than the higher one. Because if you have to put 20% down and that drains all of your emergency fund, then you're living a lot closer to the edge as far as losing that property Mm -hmm. than if you put down 3.5% or 5% and got to keep that other 15% in an emergency fund that's going to cover multiple months of mortgage. Mm Mm-hmm. Or if, you know, something really happens to the house. Well, what's the benefit of then putting down a high? Why wouldn't you just always do a lower percent? So if you're under 20%, you do have to pay PMI. Mm. And then if you're worried about like your cash flow, your monthly payment, obviously those are going to be higher. Your monthly payment is going to be higher if you don't put as much down. Mm-hmm. So if that affects your cash flow and what you care about, right, you know, right. those types of things. 
Um, but so you're going to come with your down payment money. And then there are also closing costs. And the closing costs include things like mortgage broker fees. And if you have title costs where they've like had to clear the title and make sure that everybody who had an ownership right over the house has signed off on it being sold to you. Those are the types of things that go into closing costs. I think if you estimate right now in Texas, about 10 grand, that usually covers it. So it's going to be like your down payment and your closing costs. And your mortgage broker will lay all of that out before you show up at closing because you have to show up at closing with either literally a cashier's check or having wired the money. Mm-hmm. If you are going to wire money to close on a house, be very, very careful because this is another part of the industry that is extremely scam ridden because, you know, wiring instructions are sent via email. And so scammers, if they've picked up on the fact that you're about to buy a house, will send you wiring instructions oh looking like your mortgage broker, looking like the title company. That is awful. And then and you will wire tens of thousands of dollars or more to this random offshore account. That's horrible. Yeah, I'm never going to get that back. That's right. So wiring money is not necessarily something to be scared of, but just be very mindful when you're going to do it. You can always pick up the phone, call your realtor, call your mortgage broker, call the title company, verify the wire information before you send the money. Which is what Zach told me to do, which mm-hmm. is what I did. Yes. I believe it's usually the title company because they're the ones you're like wiring the money to. Yeah. yeah I'm, I literally I'm trying to think back like, what I did. I think I showed up with a check in hand. I usually show up with a check. Yeah, I had a cashier's check, which is like a $20, $10 fee to get the cashier check written from your bank. But to me, I was like, I would rather do that. I'm nervous enough driving across town with that check. Yeah. Like, (laughs) no, I like, I called them and was on the phone with them, like, as I was doing, like, reading it, confirmed it, sent it. I was like, did you get it? Yeah. (laughs) Tell me right now. (laughs) Yes. Okay. And so if you happen to, Please, I hope this never happens to anyone who's listening to this. If you ever happen to wire it to a scam, get in touch with anyone you possibly can immediately because oftentimes if if you get on it really fast, the FBI can sometimes recapture those funds. If they can't recapture within 24 hours, they usually can't. Mm-hmm. Like once 24 hours has gone by, the money is even. The money's gone. been moved through enough other accounts. But oh. if if they can get on it in the first day, Sometimes they can recover. Do the it. cashier's check, Becca. I will. That's absolutely. As soon as y'all listed, I was like, okay, cashier. It is horrifying having a cashier's check with like $30,000 on it, though. I'm just right. going to make like, I'm going to hold it in a little. I'm going to get one of the baby Bjorns and I'm just going to put it <laughs> in front of me. <laughs> Uh, and not to like scare anyone, but hopefully to just to prevent the chance that anything would happen. It's a pretty anomalous circumstance, but it would suck if it's you, you know? Yeah. Ugh. I consider myself a pretty intelligent person and I have almost been scammed a number of times. Totally. Oh, yeah. Sca- like pe- scammers are not there. They're, they, they're really intelligent. They're really people. good yeah. on finding ways like, to make things look legit. When I hear of, like people preying on the elderly, it makes oh. me so mad. It makes me so mad too. Oh, I'm my like, God. I'm prone to being scammed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's so fucked up. And uh, yeah, the elderly get scammed the most out of like any other group. It's fucking disgusting. Um, with all that said, buying a house is stressful. There's a lot to know, but maybe it, it could be really great. I don't regret buying my house. I, I will say it was hard. There were moments of um, stress, definitely very high stress. There were moments of anger at bad tenants, at things breaking at really inconvenient times. 
Um, but ultimately, I don't regret it. Same. I it, it there's just like a sense of control that you have as a type one person that I really appreciate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that you don't have when you rent. You know, you just. I know not everything's in your control. You have to pay your mortgage, obviously, as the bank's going to take your house away. But um, having a sense of like ownership, it makes it's like a different level where you're like, this is mine. I must protect it. <laughs> yeah. And but it can be really fun. Like, it can be fun. You yeah. to make it your own. It's yeah. Because you get to do you get to make all the decisions. Like, obviously, within reason, you can't like put a water slide in your backyard, unfortunately, even though I would, sure. I would love to. I'm pretty sure you could do that. I was thinking like roller coaster water oh, okay. slide. <laughs> like I like mean, a theme park water slide. We don't have an HOA, as, but you yeah. can do whatever we want. I, maybe I could, actually. <laughs> as long as it's within your setbacks, you're probably fine. That would be fucking awesome. <laughs> we should look into this later. We'll sidebar. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fucking great that you can like literally make all the decisions and you don't have to fucking consult anyone about it. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. So that's actually an interesting question before we wrap up. Like what has changed? It's been a long time since I was renting, but what's changed for you, Taylor, tra- in that transition? As far as like mentally, were you spending a lot of time thinking about your housing for the upcoming year when you were renting? Um, well, I, so I was renting last time I was renting was in LA um, before I moved back to Texas. And to me, it was very, um, I mean, it was easy. It was hands off. I just like paid the same amount every month. And that was it. And like, as long as like, well, the thing too, with LA is renting standards are really like preferable for renters. Like we you as long as you're paying your rent, you can pretty much stay there forever. <laughs> like it's, it's very relaxed, very um, heavy renters. Yes, right, yes, so. exactly. Heavy renters, right? So it's super easy to rent in LA, uh, probably intentionally like that. Um, but so it really wasn't bad, but it was one of those things though where they could sell the building and like, you know, be like, you have thirty days to get out. You know, or like we we're going to up your rent like that is something we were worried about was like rent rents going up. But yeah, it just like, you know, it just never felt like there's just no ownership. It's just like, okay, where am I going to live next in a few years when I'm done with this place? Yeah. Like it just didn't feel like home. One of the things that I like about living in my own home versus renting is I live down the street, like a couple houses from where we are right now. And I really liked the house. And there were so many things where I was like, oh, like, oh, you could just like change this one thing. Mm -hmm. You just like put better countertops or just work on the garden a little bit or like stuff like that but i was like every time it came to that i was like i'm not gonna do that for some fucking homeowner i don't even know like right this guy just asks me for money all the time i never seen his real face like i don't want to improve his home for him right and so point yeah Yeah. what's the point like eventually i'm gonna move out and like this feels like a waste and then when I got my own home, I was like, well, this is for me and I'll make it what I want it. Yeah, totally. And I so, always have home projects that I'm working on where I'm like trying to slowly upgrade things and make which it is nicer. Good or bad. Like I kind of <laughs> get annoyed with how many things I still need to say. But same. it is <laughs> I it, I basically feel that I will work harder because it's my own house. Yeah. Whereas when it's someone else's house, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like what, this is broken. Cool. I'll call them and let them know. Right. Well, and you know, you get the benefit of those upgrades for the long term, whereas you're not like, okay, I'm going to do this now. And if he doesn't renew my lease next year, I put all that effort in for or money, you know, the yeah. effort and expense. I saw that house that I rented go through three homeowners and increase almost double in 
in value in the time that I lived there, that which is was for only three years. Insane. Wow. I will say that another benefit, I mean, of making sure you have a good relationship with your tenants is that like when you care about the people that you like rent from, you like want to make the home really beautiful. Like it's not just like, I know I'm an exceptional situation because I'm living with like actual very close friends, not just like a landlord I vibed with. But um, <laughs> in the past, I, 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 I like have lived with like, or had friends really who had landlords that were just like good people. They weren't their friends. They were just like, they would come by periodically just to make sure everything was okay. And they like mm -hmm. truly cared about them. And I have a friend who, you know, I have friends who are landlords and they're like that. And I don't know, like you put so much more pride into totally. your home that you're renting when you care about the person who owns it. Even a little bit, like even if you just don't want them to come back and see a hole in the wall or whatever, like, I don't know. I think it makes a crazy big difference. Yeah, because you feel like a sense of, yeah, ownership and pride over it. You, like, want it to be nice and you, like, want good people to live there. Yeah. When they, like, I had tenants who I wouldn't call, like, my good friends, but I really like them and I would like to think they like me, too. And we were able to come to compromises together because we had that trust, whereas yeah. with other tenants who didn't treat me with, like, respect or like me. I wouldn't have cut those deals with them. Yeah. Like my tenants were like, can we move out a month early? We found this other place we really like. And like, they want to start there early sooner. And I was like, yes, of course. Like, because I know you and I trust you and you've been great this whole time. Mm -hmm. But if it had been a tenant that was shitty to me the whole time, I'd be like, too bad. You have a lease. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know. That relationship is important, even if you're not good friends. Totally. Yeah, I think sure. it's super important. A lot of people who get sold on the dream of investing in real estate go into it totally and I like I'm big on numbers and I love math and so they go into it with just that like this is an investment and it's a very sterile sort of treatment of the situation and forgetting that what they're actually doing is running a business even if it's primarily passive depending on how you set it up but it you are a like business to client relationship and you are providing housing for people yeah and your home is important your, the asset's important and providing yeah. that service to the client's important and having a good relationship with your customer is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if they're not like your closest friend, but like Maggie said, you can become, yeah. you know, like pretty good friends or a nice working relationship in that totally. way. And, and you want to you... make them feel safe and comfortable and like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Being a property investor, especially in like residential or single family type of property, it, it really is like a big interpersonal business. Well, and I've definitely had bad experiences with the property management companies. And honestly, I haven't thought about it. Like, it seems so convenient so to just have someone else deal with everything, yeah. right? But I, as a renter, have had such terrible experiences mm -hmm. with property management They're companies. They're just all assholes. They're all assholes. I know. From that side of it, I'm so turned off by it that it makes me really shy away from it as a landlord. Because I'm like, I don't want people to deal with that shit. It was horrible. Like, yeah. some of the worst times of my life were dealing with really terrible property management companies. I totally agree. So listeners out there, there's a big gap in the market for a badass female-owned property management company that yes, actually yes, treats both yes, the yes, owners yes, and yes. renters as human beings who deserve respect. Should we just all like collectively get all the <laughs> listeners that are interested in starting these businesses with us? Yeah. Get on board. Get in the mix. Let's join the Hottie Body Property Management oh. shop. Yes. <laughs> Hottie Body LLC is going to have like 70. Should we like, we should probably LLC this. 70 D. Hottie Body LLC. Um, yeah. One thing we haven't talked about, which is 
uh, one thing we should talk about is the ethics of buying homes. And that's like a, I mean, we could talk literally for the rest of the night on that. Um, but I think it's worth considering if you're thinking about investing in property um, of like, yes, you're investing to make money. We understand that. And for financial security, but you are touching people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get to decide if you're going to be do that ethically or not. Um, and because the society will not hold you accountable, <laughs> uh, especially if you live in a really hot market, like you could, a lot of people in a market as hot as Austin can very much be unethical owners of property. And um, oftentimes are. And oftentimes are. The history of the world is pretty much unethically stealing property from other people. So. Right. <laughs> people suck. Don't be people. Yeah. Don't be people. Um, <laughs> Don't be people. So I know one thing that I've talked about in the last couple of days as I've been looking at this property is like the kind of landlord I hope to be um, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really important to me and like the kind of tenants I want to attract. And that's really important to me. And there are certain areas of Austin where you can attract tenants that might have really high paying jobs and like work in tech or whatever, or maybe you want a place where that attract that attracts families and that attracts people who are going to be there for a while or is across from an elementary school. And you know that a young family could walk their five-year-old to school and like you could just be a part of that and you get to enable that and you get to control how much they're paying you know like I don't know it's I'm romanticizing because I haven't had to do the hard part yet but it does feel important to like be mindful of those things especially in a place in a town as segregated as Austin where we just have a long and sorted history of how white people have handled property in this city um so to like be mindful of those things and I don't know, like you hear all these success stories. I heard a, a quote unquote success story. I've bitched about this to y'all so many times. Uh, I was listening to another local podcast about real estate uh, and they were had this girl on who's like this amazing early 20s girl who is a real estate investor and she lives in Los Angeles and buys homes in New Orleans and flips them. Um, and then raises the rent by crazy amounts. And I'm just like, nothing about that sounds good. That sounds awful. And but like, in her mind, it's like totally fine. Yeah, like what a cool life hack. You yeah. can buy homes life hack. <laughs> from that are like from extremely vulnerable people, mm-hmm. flip them to where no one in that community can afford to live there. And then you get to make that money. Like feels very it feels, it a bit feels detached. Icky. Yeah. If feels... you were if she was like living in the community and trying to like make the community better and like also like doing outreach and like like trying to find a way to not make it icky, I would right. understand that. But, but like it feels so city, icky yeah, to be living in yeah. like LA and trying to like take advantage of this vulnerable population. Yeah. And I mean the there's the cliche there's no ethical living under capitalism is a cliche for a reason like if you're really boiling every down to ethics then none of us would do anything ever yeah um but i think that you if you have control at least a little bit over how you're handling a situation and can make it more if you can buy locally instead of across the country in a historically pulverized community yeah um maybe do that like, <laughs> like yeah. maybe, maybe like create your community, work within your community. And if you are hiding behind the guise of making the community more beautiful, um, then make sure it's yours and it's not someone else's. Well, and something that Lauren was kind of bringing up when she was 
still here that I've been terrible about and have wanted to be better about is con- is connecting with your neighbors. Um, that's something that I don't really do very much. But today I was outside changing a tire on my car and the neighbor across the street came out and was like, hey, I have a like super awesome jack that you just push a button and it jacks up your car. Do you want me to go get it? I'll help you with this. And I was literally finishing as he came out and said this but i was like if i ever get a flat tire again you best bet i'm knocking on your door and it's like man i should have introduced myself to this guy yeah. like two years ago yeah like, i think introducing yourself to your neighbors is one of the best things you can do absolutely i have done that at every place i live is i make sure i know my neighbors because i learned this in new york when i was living and like when you're living in crowded cities like all on top of each other knowing who you're living next to is like Sometimes a matter of life and death. Honestly, it sounds really dramatic, but like it's true. Like if you don't know that the fucking guy that lives next door to you is a psycho, like <laughs> I didn't live in the best areas of New York, okay? Like everyone on the block like literally knew each other. It was like straight up people knew who to who to avoid and who to like make friends with. And like I got like I had to like make alliance like alliances with people and like be friends with the right people that were going to fucking protect me and shit and like tell me who to look out for. That's like a whole nother level of of crazy. <laughs> of but know like your that's, literally, that's when I learned it, though, is like in my 20s living in New York City, living in sketchy neighborhoods where I was like, oh, fuck, you need to know who your neighbors are. Like this is actually <laughs> really important. So yeah. I've always had that mentality since then. That's all that comes back to what Becca was saying is that community is important. Yeah. And like buying houses across the country, although it can be very beneficial. I'm not saying you shouldn't. And maybe it's something that even I might look into one day, but like at least find some connection, like go and visit the fucking place. Give a shit about the yeah, place care about like, it and like changing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think there's a big difference between like diversifying across another real estate market because sometimes you don't want to be all tied in on one, especially if your local market is heavily dependent on like one industry that may be going away, then you may want to have like your local investment and something somewhere else. But I think that's very, that can be very different from like, I live in this one fantasy land and I completely invest in this depressed neighborhood over here and take advantage of that situation, even though I'm completely removed from it. Right. And I think if you start listening to like real estate podcasts and stuff, you always hear this vanity metric of like, we have 60 doors. It's like they count the number of fucking doors they own. Yeah, I don't like Like the number of units. That's fucking gross. I hate this. That's so And I think it's so short-sighted because um, I was ranting on this this week, if you can't tell. (laughs) But (laughs) I've, I've sort of come to the realization that it is a combination of like ego, vanity, and fear. Because the only reason you end up with 60 doors is because you don't trust your investments enough to invest a significant amount of cash. So you go for the cheapest thing you can find so that if you make 10 investments or 60 investments and 10% of them fail, you're still okay at the end of the day. Whereas if you just took the time to build the team and make good investments up front, you don't need 60 doors. Yeah. And you don't need this vanity metric. Yeah. That is totally removed from the actual service you're providing. Yeah. It makes me want to throw up. It's disgusting. Because, yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. The more that you have your hands in different things, the less quality of a product you're going to be able 
able to provide. Right. Right. So then like everything goes down, like relationship, mm-hmm. tenant, you know, landlord relationships. You have to hire a company to come in. The company's probably going to be a piece of shit. Like you're not going to be on top of things that are happening in the neighborhood or in the house. Like it's just, it's going, the quality of everyone's life will go down because you feel like you need to own 60 properties instead of really investing time right. and energy into like really good properties. And it's another thing that keeps a lot of women and people out of real estate investment is because as soon as you start researching real estate investment, you fall into that that ethos where they're like, you need to get all these doors and you need to find the cheapest place possible. And it's got a cash flow like this and all, all of this stuff. That's like, when you start adding doors on doors on doors, all of a sudden you have these scaling issues where you can't manage it yourself. So then you have costs going out to that. And it makes it so unapproachable for people. Mm-hmm. And it completely ignores the fact that if you have that you're going to invest in real estate over your career, you could invest that in one or two places, or you can invest it in 20 or 30 places. Totally. But what your day-to-day looks like managing that is very different. Yep. And for me personally, I would rather have one or two places for that amount of money and a lot less stress and just make sure that I make good investments up front. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's so much more approachable to people. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think the overall message is like financial independence is important. Everyone should work harder for it, especially women, but don't lose the ethics and humanity behind it. Don't blindly chase money without thinking about the consequences of the actions that you're about to take. Yeah. So thanks for listening to part two of our real estate discussion. If you liked what you heard, please (laughs) go and like this podcast, subscribe to it, comment on it, rate it. Uh, on whatever it is you listen to your podcasts on. And then just hop on over to Instagram at Vaginance Podcast. I want you to like every picture you see. Go ahead and comment on them <laughs> uh, and just see the resources we have. You don't have to literally do that. That would be a real task. But do you see the stuff we put up? We've put up some really fucking helpful real estate stuff in the last couple of weeks that I refer back to to comfort myself regularly. Um, so take a look at those, print them out, put them on your wall. And um, also Twitter. Also, go to our Twitter. What's our Twitter handle? We don't have a Twitter handle. Uh, <laughs> Jules has been posting. Is it just on your personal account? Yeah. Oh. Well, if you follow Jules on her personal account, you've been posting some amazing vagina stuff on there. Thank you. It's my test bed for stuff that I packed for Instagram. We're getting Twitter soon. <laughs> and vaginance.com. Yeah. And yeah, go to the website, vaginance.com. Dude, vaginance.com is where you can leave your voice memos. And I cannot tell you how much we love our voice memos. We really love listening to them. So please uh, call and record it. And it might even show up on a podcast. Definitely send us a voice memo with any questions about real estate that have come up after listening to these. And also, if you have a real estate story or bought your first home, we want to hear about it. Tell us all the details. Tell us how stressful it was or if it was the smoothest process in the world for you. You had a bad landlord or a bad tenant? I want to know about it. (laughs) Tell us your horror stories. (laughs) Like the excitement of it, of you like literally being in the middle of a meltdown while we're recording is, I'm sorry, selfishly, I think it's fucking awesome. (laughs) Good.